Every story in scripture awaits a response. I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ, McAllen, Texas. And this is the 13th class in a series designed to cover the 17 periods of Bible history. Have you ever been on a long train ride through beautiful terrain and interesting locations? And there is the strong temptation to do more than just watch the passing scenery. You want to stop at every location and just take in the beauty and the intrigue. On a trip that has a schedule, you can't do that. In our journey through the Old Testament, this is like a quick train ride. Without opportunity to stop and visit all the places and talk to all the people, our purpose is to survey to learn the sequence on other occasions in other classes and reading, we can get off the train and visit the specific events and learn more about the people. So here's where we are in class number 13. As God had promised, the descendants of Abraham were formed into a nation, given a land, and under God's direction over time, the Savior, Jesus Christ, comes from that nation, the tribe of Judah in particular. So in spite of the rebellion of so many of the people of Israel, God's plan means he keeps the nation intact, and no purpose of his is canceled by men or women on earth. May I also say nothing men did changed God's character, God's plan, God's integrity, and God's love for his people. So the Jewish nation at this point went into 70 years of captivity in Babylon. The next time period we're going to consider now is their return from 70 years of captivity. And let's move chronologically, and let's take characters or players with us through this period. After the 70 years of captivity, we will move in sequence, taking these men with us. Cyrus, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. I begin with Cyrus. I must speak to you about a man by the name of Cyrus. You'll remember there was Assyria, that big world empire. They took the northern kingdom into captivity. They were then overtaken by another group that became a world empire, the Babylonians. And they took the southern kingdom, the Jews, into captivity for 70 years. Next, there was the Persian world empire. They took over after they conquered the Babylonians, and there was this man, Cyrus. In the first year of his reign in Persia, 536, Cyrus issued a decree for the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. See, it was his policy to let various conquered peoples who had been deported by Babylon and Assyria return home. 
and he was going to help restore their previous cultures and cities, not just the Jews, but other captured people as well. His decree to the Jews is what we're concerned about, and it included at least recognition verbally that Jehovah was God, the God of heaven, and uniquely God. I want you to listen to Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, about this man, Cyrus. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Cyrus' proclamation fulfilled the words spoken by Jeremiah. Jeremiah 25, 12 to 14. Cyrus therefore invited the people of God throughout his empire to go home, to go back. And help was provided for them to rebuild their culture and their house of worship. You can read about this in Isaiah 44, 26, over into chapter 45 of Isaiah. And you can read more about this in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 22 and 23. You can see on the chart there were three returns. 536 to about 538 B.C. under Zerubbabel, about 50,000. 458 B.C. under Ezra, about 1,800. You read about that primarily in Ezra chapter 8. And then in 444 B.C., Nehemiah. And you can see Nehemiah there on the chart. Concerning Nehemiah, we have another very informative passage about the Jews returning home. And that's in Nehemiah 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Verse 4 continues to quote Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned, for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, 
the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you were faithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. That's the passage in Nehemiah chapter 1. So here's what we have. The prophecies about the return of the Jews to their homeland. Then the direct testimony of Ezra and Nehemiah concerning Artaxerxes in the case of Nehemiah and Cyrus the Persian in the case of Ezra. The people are going to be able to leave Babylon and go home in these returns that I have documented on the chart. There was Jeremiah who said God would use Cyrus to bring this to pass. Zerubbabel, who according to Ezra, took a group back to rebuild the temple. After him, Ezra, his story is told in the second half of the book of Ezra, and his purpose was to teach the people Get them back to God and God's law. Then Nehemiah, who according to the book of Nehemiah, focused on rebuilding the walls, the return of the Jews to their land and place in Jerusalem seems to be well organized and simple. Jeremiah said it would happen. Cyrus and Artaxerxes facilitated the return. Zerubbabel comes back with a group to rebuild the temple. Ezra comes back with another group and takes up the task of teaching Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. It just might seem when you look at an outline of that period that this was a hopeful time of joy, going home, starting over, rebuilding community and life with God. But in every phase of the return, there was some obstacle, some conflict, some heartache, some sin. Getting along with the people who had remained in Jerusalem. Intermarriage with Canaanite women. Opposition from those outside the community. 
And then in Nehemiah's time, the old curse of disobedience to God and not treating people right. A good wrap-up of this Old Testament era and a transition statement into the next is found in Lagarde Smith's Daily Bible. I quote, As the historical record of the Old Testament comes to a close, the curtain falls on the early centuries of mankind's existence. From Adam and Eve to Ezra and Nehemiah, God has revealed himself in the affairs of both individuals and nations. From the earliest days of the patriarchs, a divine master plan has been unfolding to teach mankind the nature of God and to prepare the world for a Savior who will transform man's sinful condition and bring true life to those with a good and honest heart. Next, the period of time after Malachi and before Matthew, sometimes called the 400 years of silence or the intertestamental period. I'll deal with that in the next class. So as the chart shows, after the 70-year captivity, Cyrus becomes a prominent figure used by God to get the people back home. After him, Artaxerxes. Good summaries are found in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, especially what we've read in Ezra 1 and Nehemiah 1. It was a time period that started with some good actions, like the rebuilding of the wall and the temple. But as you arrive near the end of Nehemiah, say chapter 13, Nehemiah must confront sin among the people. So you have captivity, 70 years. And then after that, in sequence, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah leading over to the end of the Old Testament. I want to share with you some powerful takeaways from the return and restoration period of history, especially from the book of Nehemiah. We're going to do that in just a moment. Several years ago, I'm doing some work in Nehemiah, and as I conclude that work for a class I was teaching, I made some notes about things we can learn from Nehemiah. Number one, be clear about who God is. It is to be noted how Nehemiah speaks of God, how he addresses God in prayer. He is clear about who God is, and the greatness of God is never lost in Nehemiah's mind. Nehemiah 1 verse 5, the great and awesome God. Nehemiah 9 and verse 6, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. I tell you, we need that kind of clarity of thought about who our God is. Number two, we can do whatever God asks us to do. Nehemiah 2 and verse 20, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. He was talking to the authentic people of God and responding to some who were his enemies and distractors. 
This is how Nehemiah responds to his enemies and at the same time encourages the people of God to do what God asked them to do. Under this statement, there is this underlying truth that if God asks us to do something, we are able to do it and he will help us to do it. Forget the opponents and the enemies and the discouragers. Dismiss your self-doubt. If God says we must do something, what is implied in that is we can. In the time of Nehemiah, the wall around the city went up even in a time of fierce opposition. Number three, nobility. Nobility, however highly regarded by men, have no excuse to neglect God's word. Chapter three and verse five. The Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. I don't care how high you think you are, how elevated you perceive yourself to be, how smart, how popular, how much better than others, you never reach a place where you are above doing the Lord's work, getting down on your hands and knees, so to speak, getting dirty and doing what needs to be done. Further, don't let opposition get you down. Confront all opposition with prayer. The pattern we see in Nehemiah's life is before you get in trouble, pray. Then when you get in trouble, pray. And after the trouble is over, pray. Accompany everything with prayer. Pray daily and you are better equipped to handle whatever might be ahead. Rally to the point of attack. I just love that expression. In chapter 4 and verse 20, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Here's what this illustrates. We must be ready to meet the enemy wherever he shows up. If he shows up here, we need to be there. If he shows up here, we need to be there. Rally to the point of attack. Beware of the danger of debt. Isn't that relevant. Nehemiah 5, 1 to 13. Not much more to say about this, but to remind us debt can put us in bondage to lenders. Here's something else. Good people and good leaders always face opposition. If you're doing what is right from a heart that loves God, the greater your activity in righteousness, the greater the possibility you will encounter opposition. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. If you need to be revived and get back on course and resume faithful discipleship because you've lost your way, you need to get back, you must read God's word. See that in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. And then the last verse of chapter 10. We will not neglect the house of our God. When we do the Lord's work, we need to find our place in that work and stay with that work. We will not neglect the house of God. One more thing. I need to talk to us about this man 
Nehemiah. Here's a man who saw a need. He rose up. He took initiative to meet the need. He had a plan. He mobilized people. He stood against opposition. He did all that with prayer. Now, you learn this about Nehemiah, and your response may be, well, he probably went to leadership school. He probably had a degree in executive leadership. Oh, maybe he was born with these abilities. Maybe the Persians taught him how to do all this. No, there's another answer. God. Because of Nehemiah's respect for God and his relationship with God, he was able to come this man of God, this kind of man with these values and these responses. One distinctive thing about this history is there is no overt miracles in the book of Nehemiah. Nobody is healed or raised from the dead. Mountains are not moved. It is hard work fleshed out daily, living under the authority of God and based on his promises that he would keep a nation intact and bless the world. Our challenge today is to get down and do the hard work of preaching the gospel, edifying one another, doing what God says we ought to be doing. We invite you to join us next time. We're not going to get off the train and visit for a while, but we're going to go through the scenery of the intertestamental period of Old Testament history. Thank you for being with us.